Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story, Inc. is Morgan Dewan, the Vice President of Production Development and Social Media at Turner Sports. Morgan, thanks for joining the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This is a, a much needed break in the uh, in the Zoom call action. <laughs> Morgan's got two little ones napping, so we're going to be efficient with her time today during, as we do this during uh, COVID-19. But I want to start by setting up uh, our listeners. I was at, in January, at a sports OTT conference down at Turner headquarters um, in Atlanta in January. And we got to go on this tour and we went to see the social media operation and we walk into a room and uh, I'm with, I'm one of like 30 or 40 men that walk into this room and you walk in and there's kind of a, a, a little lounge area. There's like a whole bunch of monitors on the wall. There is like a master control booth. This is cool content studio. We literally are walking into a content studio and there's Morgan. And in about 20 minutes, she proceeds to break down the entire business unit of Turner Sports social media um, and their, their content studio approach and, and how she started from scratch. And it, I just, I walked up to her and I was just like, that was that was incredible. You did. It was like a, it felt like I went through a a twenty minute MBA on how to build a content studio and a business model. So. <laughs> oh, thanks. That's really nice of you. But I, but I do want to go back to the beginning because I think a lot of li- there's listeners from a lot of listeners here in the sports media space, but many brands that are have nothing to do with sports, and so we want to make it relevant to as many people as possible. Um, I th- I'd love for you to start with the why that you explained that day behind the vision that you saw and how you went from essentially an idea on a piece of paper to making a business unit happen within a company like that. Yeah, great. Um, so let me start at the beginning a little bit of like how I developed the why um, really had a lot to do with the background that I came from. Um, and in the start of my career, I, I started in publicity um, I moved into brand marketing. Um, I worked on some advertising, big advertising campaigns. Um, and then I kind of was able to join the social media train as it was leaving the station, like mm-hmm. call it 2010. So some of it was good timing. But I, I do think that when I made the transition from a social media startup eventually to AT&T, working on a lot of their sponsorship elements and then made the transition over to Turner Sports, when I came to Turner Sports, which was my first experience working for a media company, I brought with me the experience of starting with some really results-oriented, bottom-line-driven retailers and CPG companies. At that point, I had worked with, like I said, CPGs. I had worked for JCPenney. I had worked for HEB, which mm-hmm. is a grocer here in um, in. Texas and Mexico. Um, And so when you come from that background um, and you are in the marketing division, you have to be disciplined to know that everything that you do must drive the bottom line. And if it doesn't, it's bad ROI. Mm-hmm. So I came I came in with a perspective that was probably a little bit more hard nosed than what the sports media industry was was used to hearing. Um, I have a saying that I've I've said repeatedly and I, I believe it to be true today, but 
we're not doing social media for social media's sake. <laughs> and that's what a lot of brands were doing um, in, in the early, you know, 2010, 11 and 12. It was like, okay, we, we know we need to be here. We're not sure why. We're not sure what it's going to do. And so when I came to Turner Sports and I had all this, I mean, content was dripping off the walls of this place, mm -hmm. right? And so it wasn't like I needed to start a content studio from the ground up. That didn't come until very a lot later. The first step when I came to Turner Sports was really justifying why we needed to put a dedicated team towards it, um, that it really uh, was a service for the entire organization. And that's how I that's how I presented it. And that's how I got buy in. I said, if you can give me these resources, let's do a test. And sometimes by positioning things as a test, it becomes far more palatable to upper management when you're not going in and asking for a large investment from your team out of the gate. You say, hey, give me six months, give me these resources and let me try something. And, and let me put these benchmarks in place. And if we get to where I think we can go by the end of that six months, then we can talk about a real investment. Morgan, and so that's what we did. Morgan, just for a second to jump in there. So for folks not familiar, um, Turner's, Turner Sports has ridiculously valuable partnerships. We're talking the NBA, uh, NBA and TNT, PGA, NCAA, March Madness, Major League Baseball, NASCAR. I mean, there's there's so many different relationships that Morgan, when you said the the place was dripping with content, that was the that was what she was walking into. So I, I'd love to follow up on that. You, the test presumably goes well, and then mm -hmm. you take the results from that, and then evolve it forward for us from there. That's right. And and part of merchandising your work and figuring out how to do that and have having executive buy-in is a critical part in being able to get the resources that you think your team needs in order to help move that forward. So when I what I saw there was I didn't see at, at that moment in 2013, I didn't see the ability to be able to to build a 40 or 50 person team out of the gate. I knew that, that I would be kind of ridiculed for trying to do that. Mm -hmm. But what I did see was we can approach it in three different ways. Um, and we can build a team that is in direct reflection of the marketing, digital, and content goals and revenue goals that we have um, as part of this organization. So that's what we did. We set up a team that was all around social content we set up a team that was all around social partnerships and by partnerships we define that as new revenue um, as well as licensing opportunities with the platforms um, and then the third was really all around content insights um, and audience development so um, you know once the test was fairly successful we had like one person in each of those categories that's when we were able to get the funding and the buy-in at the at the most executive levels that we should continue to build out this team um, and it's been a great journey. You know, we started um, we started with a T3 program. That was another thing that I don't I don't think I got to fully talk about on the studios tours. But a, a lot of the reason that we were able to get the funding of what we needed is because we knew that we could attract and retain and grow young people who were endemic to the social media space. We could get them in the doors. A T3 is basically a super intern. It's it's somebody who is given a, an 11 month contract and they mm -hmm. have to be two years out of school or less. And so we had a base of people that were really helping us starting to program. Um, so we started there and our only job was really capturing the content that was already living around the space and living around the building. It wasn't really creating anything new at that point. It was being creative. It was going down to the 
coordinating producer of NBA TV and saying, hey, what's hitting your cutting room floor? Can I use that so that I have something special to go on here that's not just what's on linear? So we were really scrappy in the beginning, and it took a long time, and it really wasn't until the beginning of Tyler Price, um, who's my senior director of content, who came in and helped us really complete the vision of all the different content specialties that we needed to be able to justify our own studio. And, and pull back for a second on the big picture vision as you evolve that. So you do that, you do a test and say, hey, I think there's something of value here. Um, as you evolve that, what was the vision that you and Tyler had? Uh, on the content piece yeah. specifically? Yeah, on the because the way, uh, the way I understood it, this actually, you know, look, to, to step back for a second, there's many people, um, you hear this all the time, I'm sure, you know, here comes my violin, Turner Sports, trying to get money from a, a large company. But the principles, and it's it's hard to do, right? That's a, that's a very hard thing to do. And the principles of what you did of getting executive management to buy in on a vision, to your point, a kind of a hard-nosed business approach, um, at the end of the day, it was something that you were going to be using uh, within a, you're building a, a media company within a media company is the way I look at it and you were doing using content and the assets that you had within the organization to create new slash additional revenue while also you know to your point engaging you know, new audiences and things like that so as you as you and Tyler were you know wait maybe back in 2016 2017 as, as you were kind of starting to grow this what was the business vision that you had that was taking place there Sure. Um, I think it starts with if your social media goals are different than your business goals, you're dead in the water on trying to pitch I a vision. That. And what it what it comes down to is is that if you can figure out a vision that supports the organization as a whole and makes those different executive leaders, if you're going to make their divisions look good and be more profitable for what they do, they're going to buy into that. And then if you can design a system that's um, as efficient uh, economically as possible, you're only going to be able to grow from there. So to come in with this huge plan that was going to cost, you know, mm -hmm. tens of millions of dollars to implement, I think would have been kind of balked at out of the gate. But when you said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna bring in these T3s. We're gonna see what we can do here. We're gonna measure it. We're gonna make sure that every piece of content that we create." is driven by insight um, and analytics um, and make sure that we're using our resources in the right place. I think that's what got them on board. Um, as far as, as how that business goals translate to what we were doing from a content strategy perspective, I think the content strategy um, has always been twofold. It's been using social media content to A, enhance the experience of fans who are already with us, who already love us, who know our talent, know our brands, and we're taking a show like Inside the NBA, which is typically only on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and making it a week-long franchise, right, mm -hmm. so that you're not missing us the rest of the week. That's been part A. And part B has been around attracting new audiences who aren't familiar with those brands. And I think that was some of the eye-opening justification that we needed from some of our leadership to be able to get what we got, which was, listen, there's a whole generation of people out there who never saw Charles Barkley even play. Mm -hmm. Like they only know him as a broadcaster, right? Yeah. So how do we start introducing people to the show because of what he has to say or or um, putting it up against, you know, modern or, or more current storylines? So it's about retaining 
part A is retaining uh, existing audiences on a grander scale, but then B is creating new audiences and new entry points. So Morgan, give us an overview of how you're currently staffed. You mentioned it before, I think about 50 folks um, and, the, and the, the volume of content you're producing uh, back pre-COVID-19 when the world was actually still having live sporting events going on. Yeah. Um, so the staff right now, as of you know, late April, uh, 2020 um, is really in now in two main parts. Um, Matt Wickline, who's my senior director of um, social partnerships, he oversees anything that is revenue generating, and mm-hmm. um, again, that's incremental sales and sponsorships. Um, and and he was a huge part of making us this group become revenue positive, and that was working closely with our sales team to say no ad social media is not added value. Social media should have a discrete line item within all of the media plans and people should be spending against this. Do not give away these impressions and these engagements for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big push. So so WIC oversees the, the revenue and the partnerships, especially with the platforms. Um, we want to be, you know, uh, not always the first to market with everything, but we want to be a close follow. And so working really closely with our friends at Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, um, Snap, and TikTok is is a huge piece of that. So um, Matt oversees those parts as well as content insights, and then um, Tyler oversees um, the the content organization. Right now, that's currently divided up by um, all the live program that we do live programming that we mm-hmm. do on our channels. We have a lot of licensing deals that are contingent on live. We have a, um, a VOD um, group that's uh, responsible for um, all pre-produced video. Um, we have a, a design team and we also have an editorial staff that works a lot of our nights and weekends and, and does all of our live coverage to our channels. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't point out our um, our incredible partnership with Turner Studios Mm -hmm. Um, and we have uh, some special um, people uh, shooters editors producers um, visual effects artists who are really um, closely embedded uh, within our team that help us create kind of uh, even better content that we can do on our own Um, and so that makes up about 40 or so people I love what you you said there about the fact that social media should have its own um, P&L. So I just want to ask one follow-up question there. Share share how it works in terms of, you said you worked very closely with your sales team and that you guys were able to get um, positive cash flow pretty quickly in, in this venture. And is it the type of thing where it, maybe you give us a couple, an example or two that, that folks have actually experienced. Is it, is it a, matter of you guys creating content products and then having them go sell or are you responding to a sales team coming in saying hey sponsor x y and z is looking for this and you guys have to come up with the solutions or a combination of both how does that work yep both for sure um and so what we try to do on on the sales and sponsorship front is uh, we try to be as proactive as we can so um so wick and tyler work uh, their teams work closely together to come up with a, a chart of what we want to produce. Um, and then they look at it through the lens of what in there is sellable um, or what in there might be perfectly positioned for a hotel brand or a sneaker brand or um, a food brand. Um, and so when they're coming up with their content 
um, strategies, specifically around tent poles, which is where we do the majority of our incremental revenue for sales and sponsor, social sales and sponsorships. We try to be as proactive as we can by giving a, a media toolkit essentially to our internal sales team. It usually ranges from 60 to 100 pages of new ideas and new content franchises hmm. that we all have the ability to do. And then Wix's job is, is helping figure out like what can we do for free? Um, and we can produce with in-house resources versus what would we actually need some rev-dependent um, money to help us out with. Um, so there's that proactive process and there's also a reactive process. Um, and so um, Matt and his team, they are responding to, I think the latest stats I heard were like anywhere from one to three RFPs per day mm. um, coming in from the sales team. And that's in conjunction with broadcast and digital because, mm -hmm. and that's really evolved. Whereas I think when we started, there was a lot of like social standalone franchises and there still can be because it's a, sometimes it can be a lower price point for brands who don't have the ability to buy TV. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, ideally, we're coming up with a truly integrated campaign with our partners over in digital and linear. So there's a lot of reactive work that happens, too. And then licensing is a whole other category. So, so let's go back to one of the last live sporting events, which, my God, the NBA All-Star Game in Chicago this year, which seems like it was a year ago at this point. It was only two months ago. Uh, you've got great talent, as you mentioned, um, Charles Barkley and Ernie and, and everyone else on your team. You've got unique access due to your NBA deal, but you also had to create you had you had to create additional value to pay for your ideas with sales. Tell us, looking back, what worked that weekend? You know, maybe some. I'm big on specific examples, so taking what you just said and kind of applying it to some of the the social content that you created that that um, maybe brings to light using the All Star Game exactly what you guys did. Sure. Um, I'd like to talk about our incredible partnership with the NBA and, um, and Twitter, in fact, um, that ended up being something special for State Farm. But um, we have a, I think, now three-year partnership um, as part of our, our NBA digital uh, venture with the NBA for a franchise that we call hashtag NBA Twitter Live. Um, and this has really evolved over the last couple of years. And um, NBA Twitter is a thing. It's um, it's where, it's the de facto place of where people go on social media to talk about the NBA, mm -hmm. whether games are on or not. Um, and so we saw that, we had that insight early and we had great partners in Twitter who were willing to come on board and help us co-create content for the at the right price point and a, and a very high production value. So that's been going on for three years. Um, what it has evolved into in this in this last season is um, what we do is we create a, a very social friendly, uh, uh, socially endemic uh, talent. We bring them together in their own kind of studio show. Um, and what we do is we use isocams from uh, from the games. Um, we have a Twitter vote where people can choose. Uh, the player that they want to see during the second half of the game. We go live on that player ISO cam. We mm. also pull up the new um, studio show, and then we have them commenting on the game um, together. So that was happening over the course of this season. Um, and then for, of course, NBA All-Star in Chicago, we wanted to do something um, special. So uh, we popped up the Saturday night show. Um, well, we were always going to do it for the second half of the Sunday show, but then what we also saw was a consumer insight that there is a ton 
of social chatter and activity after the dunk contest. Mm -hmm. And we don't always on and inside the NBA and NBA on TNT linear, we don't always go have a live show after that. So we were like, great, sweet spot. This is a place where um, this show can really shine. So in addition to our second half Sunday night show during the actual um, game, uh, we popped up the, the Saturday night show to be a place for dunk conversation. Um, uh, with uh, some of our Tuesday night crew with um, Adam Lefko and Shaq and um, uh, Dwayne Wade and Candace Parker. Um, and it was really the perfect storm. Um, and then our sales team and Twitter sales team were able to partner together and were able to bring State Farm on board for that um, as kind of the first presenting sponsor. So that's a an example of a show that we would have wanted to do anyway mm -hmm. we might we had to bring in a separate broadcast truck we had to get the talent on board there was some you know some cost uh involved with producing that that night from from the arena um but we wanted to do it we were able to bring in a partner and a sponsor who were able to um, make it actually come to life this is getting a little inside baseball uh, or i should say inside basketball here but how do you, how did you measure success on that when it comes to the actual content obviously there's the sponsorship component of it but how are you looking at success? Specific content KPIs, we it really depends on the platform and it depends on the type of content. So in, um, in that instance, when you're talking about a longer form um, live show, we would really look at concurrence. We would look at um, uh, time watched and time spent. So mm -hmm. did we hook them? And then once we hooked them, did they stay? And then, um, you know, were they were we able to gain more engagements off of our content that followed because of that? Um, and then, and you know, Twitter is a great partner, and they help us, you know, tweak our, um, you know, our A block of the show or how we market it, um, the type of talent that we use. They help us um, tweak some of our programming for that so that it's um, it's optimal for the next round. And you know, we were going to bring that show back and have a heavy slate. Of that for the playoffs but obviously all of that's in question now so we'll see where the nba lands on in terms of continuing the season mm -hmm. and and how we're going to bring back nba twitter live we kind of it's a good pivot point there um march madness which even non-sports fans are very most most non-sports fans are very well aware of since it's i would argue if not the def, definitely one of the top two cultural instant sports institutions in, in in our country and when it when it got canceled for this year obviously I, I to give you it's a whole nother podcast to go into the amount of planning that Turner Sports does for something like this the war room that they have set up months in advance mm. and so um, I, I am really curious to hear over the we're taping this in, in late April since since that happened since all of that went down with COVID-19 how what are the conversations you're having and, and how are you rethinking and thinking about um, sports right now through the lens that you have in your job and with the, the big time partners that you have? Yeah. Um, that week um, where it all went down was, was absolutely wild. Um, and, you know, I, first and foremost, I have such um, great admiration for the NBA and the NCAA who were very early in making the call of what they had to do and they, and they made the tough choice, mm -hmm. um, but it was the right choice. Um, and so I think once we saw 
what was happening with the NBA go down, we understood that our worlds were going to be pretty rocked um, for at that time, what we thought was maybe the next six months. We had, we had no idea Mm -hmm. kind of the, the scale of everything at that point. So, um, and social is a very interesting um, lens to look at all of this through because what you've seen in the data over the last couple of weeks is just how much time people are spending on their phones. Um, and those habits have uh, really changed and the consumption habits have changed over the course of the day. So we've been trying to monitor all of that. But um, in that, after that March 11th, that kind of fateful day and, and all this kind of subsequent news that came of that in regards to the games and the leagues, um, you know, we were in an interesting place. There were you know, some schools of thought of like, hey, if we're not producing live sports, you know, what's our voice going to be in social mm-hmm. media? There was also another school of thought of like, this is where everybody's going. Like, we would be doing a disservice to our fans to not continue to serve them up content and kind of in this absence. So, you know, us as an organization, we had to rectify that. We had to figure out what's right for our brands, what's right for our fans and our audiences, and also what's right for our people, um, because there is a lift, you know, no matter what we do. So, you know, there, uh, we were willing to have the hard conversations. Um, we didn't always agree uh, at all times, but I think we landed into a really good place of where we are specifically around the NBA. Um, of course, NCAA has canceled um, mm-hmm. that tournament, but with NBA, I'm so proud of of the team who have been able to kind of keep the lights on and have been um, creating new content. So yeah, um, you guys are producing a ton right now. I mean, I was watching Steve Kerr on with Ernie yesterday, Dirk Nowitzki. You guys are doing quite a bit on your NBA together. um, That's right. And that was really, you know, it came it came from. you know, uh, a partnership with the NBA. And so we do that every Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, Tyler still has, uh, we also, Tyler's team produces all the podcasts that we do from a lot of Turner Sports Bleacher Report being um, the exception. So um, they're continuing to keep the lights on, uh, whereas, uh, you know, a lot of our other kind of content channels have gone dark. Very cool. So let's turn it positive. What, what type of, you, you mentioned before you had a list of 60 to 100, of, 100 ideas that you come up with for sales. What are some of the positive innovations that 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 you're thinking about that you're or that you're seeing in the marketplace that have you and your team um, rethinking things maybe than you were 60 days ago? Uh, I think the quote that comes to mind. I think it's Plato. Um, please edit this out if it's not him. <laughs> but I think I think Plato said that necessity is the mother of invention. Yep. Um, and I think what happened what has happened in the last couple of of months is that all of the things that we were going to try when we had time or things that we had kind of kicked the can down the road of like, oh, you know, yes, we do want to try that. And, you know, maybe we could do that for less money or maybe we could do that remotely or we could try that more efficiently have all become business imperative. So I think that that's been a huge positive is the, is, is that necessity. Um, I think sports broadcasting is going to be forever changed um, in the sense of how people approach live productions um, and, uh, and using all of these learnings to help figure us how to help us figure out how to be better moving forward. Um, And then I think the second big thing that's going to come of it is there is still a need and a want for very premium high production value 
content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe that will ever change. And that's what our, you know, sister brand and HBO has, has hung their hat on for a, a very long time. However, especially in the sports, in the sports and news landscape where, um, maybe the content is a little bit more commoditized, maybe a little bit more fast moving. There's always breaking stories. I do think that there is a a new realization that um, you don't have to have picture perfect quality for Mm -hmm. some Mm -hmm. sorts of content. You just have to be there and have the right conversation with the right talent at the right time. And so I do think that people's threshold for, um, you know, listening to something or, or watching something that isn't perfect, um, I think is, is going to be more palatable. It's interesting. Forward. I've had conversations with your colleagues at Turner and other networks about this exact point and NBC universal. And even I was on the phone with Facebook the other day, having these conversations. And I, I, I agree with you. I think it's one of those things where it's a delicate balance. It's, it's, it, and I think people sometimes tend to maybe course correct too far on a pendulum swing, but mm-hmm. It, it's interesting, um, and let's face it, even in 2020, the lion's share of revenue that was coming in is television, linear-based for, like, uh, you know, it's how networks, Turner, ESPN, the rights partners, that's the, that's the cornerstone of it. And being forced to not have it and consume sports content and seeing it there, and these let's, executives like, like you and I, and respective bosses in the C-suite are sitting there and they're forced to consume it in the same way, um, in a way that they've never done it before, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's and I'm, I'm hearing that from top levels of media companies across the board of how it's getting people to start thinking, well, how should we be re-engaging fans? How should we be engaging fans, period, moving forward? Like, and I really feel, and I, I might be biased, it might be confirmation bias because we do a lot in the digital media space and, but I, I do believe it's um, digital's finally getting its day in court, where a lot of us have been like, and, and you, I'm sure, you know, based on your track record, there have, have seen this as well, right? There's an element of you created a business within Turner that was give me some resources, let me build it, and now maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but there seems to be a really interconnectedness between business units, and, and you're in a large company, and you've been able to do that. And I think this is actually going to even further that. Is, is that is that kind of the sentiment that you think? I do think I think that's very fair. I also think that largely, and and this is for some of maybe my my media colleagues um, to think about. But one thing that we've seen because there was a there was a point where I was working across the Warner Media portfolio. I was kind of an almost an in house consultant, and so I did a lot of. Um, talking with my counterparts in news and animation and young adult and film. Um, and what we, what we saw in particular with social media is that, is that how the, how the organization operated and what their key performance indicators were, were largely tied to what division of the organization they sat in, meaning social media teams that report into the chief content officer operate very differently than the social media teams who tie in to the CMO mm-hmm. or tie in to the chief digital officer. Um, and so I, you know, I think one of the, our evolution as a team has really been in line with kind of how we've been perceived within the organization. Um, and I can't imagine going through 
the last couple of weeks not firmly embedded within the content organization. Mm -hmm. um, so we started out in marketing, then we moved over to kind of digital and, and league partnerships, and then we landed in content as, as recently as summer of last year. Um, and I think the, the timing has really uh, worked in our favor because here we are um, as, as one of the, um, the few kind of content outlets that is still producing a lot of content every day. And we're kind of sitting right in the middle um, of, of the content teams and have access to those types of uh, resources and expertise. I, it's a really interesting um, perspective and, and dovetails into my next question about advice from your perspective, knowing what you now know. Uh, there are people that um, either our company, Teamworks Media Works with, some of them don't have any in-house resources for quote unquote content studios where we, where we actually perform that for them and other places mm -hmm. we're supplementary to that. So we work with, and, and then you look at companies like the IBMs who have their own content studios and all states and, and, and it's the whole reason I started this podcast, this, this internal brand content studio and, and kind of creating content directly to the consumer is clearly where things are going um, and have been going. But knowing that there's all shapes and sizes and of levels of resources of people that are listening, what, what are some maybe universal things or the top three things that as you look back over the past six or seven years as you built this out within Turner, this business, that uh, you wish you would have known and could pass on to people who are maybe where you were six or seven years ago in the journey? Mm -hmm. um, I'll try to boil it down. I have a, a lot of lessons learned for sure. Um, so my first one would be think big, but start small. Um, and that kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier around tests are not as intimidating as creating an entire business unit or an expensive business unit out of the gate. Um, so starting there, and in fact, we have a, I don't know of a better name for it, but it's like a 12 step program of social audit. Um, and we've we've used this as a framework across the different Warner Media business units, but it's basically a roadmap of, hey, if you're wanting to get more resources, get more executive buy-in, here's how you go about doing that. And the first step is securing an executive sponsor who believes in this stuff and can help you championing champion it along the way. Mine was Christina Miller, mm -hmm. um, who was. Um, you know, the, the GM of NBA Digital uh, at Sports, and then she went on to become the president of, of Cartoon Network. But she was really, you know, the person who helped me kind of muscle this through. And then it goes, you know, establishing a timeline, getting a lay of the land, reading the room, um, you know, uh, finding those right partnerships, evolving your tool stack, doing KPI development. Um, and then you set the strategy, and then you measure it, and then you re-merchandise it. So, um, I think having that type of plan, um, again, thinking big, but starting small, uh, was, was really important to our success. Um, I would say that, um, another piece of advice I would have is that, um, my boss, Craig Berry has, has a great saying that some, goes something along the line of like, there are no new ideas, just like repurposing of the existing mm -hmm. ideas with a fresh lens. Um, so don't don't put that pressure on yourself to have to do something brand new every single time. Um, you know, the reason that Tyler joined the team is because I was 
super impressed by what this company relevant 24 was doing out of Boston, um, in making, you know, quick turn branded content for social. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did a small test with them to kind of understand them and their process. Um, and, and it worked out that Tyler actually came and, and joined us. So we were able to look at different models that other people had already created and be able to replicate that in house. I do feel strongly that social media teams, you know, what if you can have your strategist in in house um, and really help get at that executive buy-in, you can use all the agencies and the different content arms that you want. But having somebody in house who's wholly, mm-hmm. you know, um, dedicated to it is very important. So that'd be the second one. And then the third piece of advice isn't really around just this particular discipline, but it's something I've learned over the years, which is don't rush hiring. Um, there are so many times where we want to get a body in a seat or we want to get through the process. Um, and it just ends up the wrong hire for a position ends up being so much more work (laughs) than waiting those couple extra weeks or months even to find the right person. So, um, there, there is no wasted energy in, closely partnering with your partners in HR and recruiting, developing a really specific job description, spending a lot of time on that job description, vetting your candidates, forcing diversity and inclusion, um, making sure that you see people who just aren't, you know, um, have all the right skill sets on paper. You know, for a lot of us, it's like it was removing the restriction of having a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, why? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would rather have that experience any day. Mm-hmm. So um, that, w- that would be the, the third thing. Don't rush hiring. Yeah, a wise man once told me hire fast, fire uh, hire slow, fire fast, fire fast, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's good. Um, great advice. That's awesome. Thank you for for going as in depth on that because I think most people just kind of talk surface level, and I love the depth that you're going to. So we should probably rename this this podcast like uh, Nap Time Nuggets because you're doing this with two little ones. So home stretch here. I've got two less, two less I'm just bracing myself for like a, a kid to like run in here at any moment. But we'll talk fast as the last two. So I'm curious, uh, we call it morning musts. Share what you subscribe to, what your inbox looks like, uh, social follows you rely on, how you, Morgan, consume content to stay on top of your job. Yeah, there's so much out there. Isn't it daunting? It's daunting. Um, That's why I asked. This is like free research for me. It's really just a ruse to get to figure out, make sure I'm following the right things. Well, and my my <laughs> what I what I'm reading, especially in this crisis, has been very different. Um, you know, I'll I'll be really candid about like when when this all started with having older parents in California, with having um, a husband who's a physician having in children like some of that anxiety that I thought I had put to bed years mm-hmm. ago just came flooding back mm-hmm. um and so there was a lot of there were days where you know everything was hunky-dory during the day and then it, at night I would read the news and I would spiral um so I knew I had to kind of change my my habits of when I was consuming things so I'm trying to remember all of my um <laughs> content consumption pre-covid but um I will say like of my morning must, you know, um, I always start with something. Um, I write in a journal every morning. It's, it's a gratitude journal. It's, Mm. um, and I write up, I 
I wake up and I write the things that I'm thankful for in that day. And sometimes it's the same things as yesterday. And sometimes it's, it's something different, but it helps really put me in the right mindset, um, to, to get the day started, even, even pre coffee. Um, I pretty quickly, um, move into something that's industry related. I read hashtag sports and the synopsis, um, newsletters, uh, and as well as the broadsheet, um, uh, I read that uh, daily in the morning. Um, and then uh, when I was commuting in, um, I love my Spotify daily drive. They seem to mm-hmm. like kind of cur- curate the, the perfect thing for me uh, right in there. And then another one that I, I try to always stay on top of is um, – um, one of my favorite newsletters, uh, even though I'm a woman, is uh, is the GQ new- newsletter. Hmm. I think they got rated. Um, I just I, I love the way they write. I love the article curation that they do. Um, I just think it's a really well put together um, newsletter. It helps me kind of um, stay on top of what's going around in the world, um, especially in the fashion and culture space. And I've I've really enjoyed that. I save most of my social media um, content consumption for the evenings. Um, and then I try to fit in a podcast or two uh, when I'm exercising. So, wow. uh, but it feels like a full-time job just trying to keep on top of everything. So if somebody can figure out a way to pull all that together succinctly, and I'm all ears. Nice. Well, if you want to follow Morgan on Twitter, she's at Morgan Dewan, D-E-W-A-N. Appreciate that. And then the last one, I'm, um, I'm, I'm guessing this could be really fun. This could be a first based on the age of your little ones. Book stack secrets. What books are on your <laughs> nightstand right now, and and what you're reading, if you even have time to do so. Um, I do. I love to read. Um, I'm actually along with my friends um, Jen and uh, and Taria. We're helping um, start a book club, actually within Turner Sports for all the women nice. um, there that we're going to be doing um, quarterly. So uh, professionally, I have a I do have a stack of books um, on my uh, on my nightstand. Um, I just finished uh, Bob Iger's Ride of a Lifetime. Um, and then for the book club I just mentioned, we are reading Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. It's nice. um, all around how to lead with vulnerability. Um, and then uh, personally, uh, I have How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen because my three-year-old <laughs> is a maniac. And it doesn't matter how good of a communicator you are when you're um, when somebody's melting down over the wrong flavor of popsicle, um, <laughs> you just you kind of lose all the skills that you've learned over the years. That is awesome. um, so I'm reading that as well as um, Educated, um, which is uh, Tara Westover's memoir. I'm, I'm feeling um, uh, content consumption uh, inferiority complex here. No. Based on everything you've got going on. Small bites. <laughs> Morgan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was such a pleasure to have you. Hope to have oh, you back. thank you for absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, and everyone, stay healthy and stay well out there, and keep um, keep supporting one another. Thanks for listening to Brand Story Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.